0: This is Philip B. Swift, the director of the Dark Side of Disney documentary, and you're listening to the
1: Capades podcast. <laughs> interested in becoming a travel agent yourself and helping others plan their next Disney vacation interested in learning more about surge 365 how to get paid to travel make $1,000 bonuses or just simply want to book your next Disney vacation with Disney professionals well dream makers at two tickets to paradise travel are ready to help you make your wish come true contact travel at two tickets to paradise.net don't dream your life live your dreams have an idea question or want to share your experiences on the show contact nick and dave anytime email them at mousecapades podcast at gmail.com 407-674-0414. 407-674-0414. Follow Nick and Dave on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Simply search for Mousecapades Podcast. Listen to Nick and Dave on iTunes, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, and Stitcher Radio. Simply search for Mousecapades Podcast. Now, from the Mousecapades Studios, here are your hosts, Nick and Dave. Ladies and gentlemen, boys...
2: Gateway to the West and just down the road from where it all began, the inspiration of Main Street USA, all of our beloved Disney characters, where a simple-minded farm boy grew up to become a genius innovator and the keeper of childhood magic. My friends, I'm talking about Walt's childhood state of Missouri. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, listening from your phone, tablet, computer, maybe in your car, at home, work, school, hotel, or even the Magic Kingdom at the happiest place on Earth, wherever you may be. Welcome to another episode of the Nick and Dave Mousecapades podcast. The number one podcast that entertains that space between your ears. Coming up next, we have a very special guest. Well, a very daring and crazy guest. You can truly consider him now to be a Disney dark sider. Philip Swift joins us for a little discussion about his recent trip and documentary called The Dark Side of Disney. Hey, Dave, do you remember when we had the author Leonard Kinsey on our show talking about his popular book, The Dark Side of Disney?
3: Yeah, I missed that show. That was all you that episode.
2: Well, we had him on. It was a great episode based off of the book, The Dark Side of Disney. Well, well, in his book, he outlined basically a how-to adult Disney vacation with a variety of adult tips to make your next Disney trip, you know, just more enjoyable. After reading his book, director and producer Philip Swift took it to a whole new level, basically mimicking the book. I can't wait to discuss this trip and documentary I have really been waiting for this one So in this episode, Dave, I decided to call it The Darkest Side of Disney Because, you know, we've already had an episode titled The Dark Side of Disney and The Darker Side of Disney So I thought as teachers it would be great to add to our list of superlatives And just go with the superlative flow And just simply call this episode The Darkest Side of Disney but first, Dave, here's what's happening, man. So the Lumberjack show in Epcot, did you ever see that show by any chance? Yeah, I did. It's a good one. You, you, you have seen it. Okay, I have yeah. not. Uh, apparently it is going away. So the Lumberjack show is getting the axe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's like a Jungle Cruise cheesy joke. Yeah. All right. So it's getting the axe after the holidays. It's going by. So Disney's making a lot of changes, and this uh, wasn't on the list for the next upcoming season. So I don't blame them. Uh, Lumberjack show, I don't know if I'd want to go. Why did you see it?
3: I was just walking by. I didn't stay for it. it was, I just happened to be in the area.
2: <laughs> and that's exactly why it's getting the axe. Because <laughs> I would never like, say, hmm, I want to go see the Lumberjack show.
3: It got jacked, that's actually. Right.
2: So uh, Disney dining plan. Um, so let's talk about, have you heard of the Disney Dining Buddy is that a person? No, it's, it's I could a, it's I could
3: a, be a Disney dining buddy, I well,
2: guess. Well, yeah, pay, you you okay. definitely be a coordinator. It's it's a program that basically just like travel agents and cruise ships, you know, a travel agent like your buddy Mike will uh, buy up a whole bunch of cabins on a cruise ship. Let's say he buys up 100 cabins. I right? just want
3: to eat. I just want to eat. Yeah, I'm with you.
2: Okay, so this program will buy up like thousands of reservations at various restaurants and hold on to them. And so people like you and I who are trying to dine through the regular Disney dining app uh, through Disney sometimes can't make those reservations because those reservations are already taken, you know, through the Disney through the Disney buddy. So Disney and a lot of other followers, you know, have been screaming about shutting this this program down for quite some time. And apparently it's finally been shut down and more programs like this are to follow, which is awesome. There
3: was more than one, though, right? There were several of oh, yeah. these out there that did that. Right, but
2: the main one has been locked down, has been Black shut Black
3: market. Black market reservations.
2: Exactly. So it frees up space for, you know, travelers like you and I and the rest of our listeners to make some reservations. So that's a good thing. They're moving in the right yeah. direction. Um, it's great.
3: Yeah. I have never really had much problem booking reservations, though. I mean, if you really do count the days out and book them when you are eligible to book them, there's really not any trouble booking reservations. I I'm haven't a, had much.
2: Yeah, I'm a freak. I mean, I well, I'm not. I won't get up like at midnight. A hundred. I did. What? What is it? 180 days out. You are you serious?
3: Yeah, and you oh. have to also account East Coast time.
2: True. So it's 11 o'clock. I guess basically you're gonna make those reservations, yep. um, our time that is. Uh, I'll wait till morning and typically do it before school starts or maybe during my plan period uh, 180 days out and I've never had any issues trying to get a reservation so is there a glitch in the system Dave the festival festival excuse me a fantasy parade fast pass plus apparently are canceling on a lot of individuals now Disney has seen this glitch before in their system so people who have made some fast passes they're being deleted now I would never fast pass a parade ever.
3: Yeah, I guess you have to have seating. they have special seating for that, so but still, it's not worth it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, right? So my last piece in the news, finally, Dave, you know last week we reported on a person known as Grumpy being banned from Walt Disney World for life. Right,
3: what's the news on him? Okay,
2: well, apparently, you know, you and I are right so apparently, as we both suspected, this wasn't the first run-in with Disney authorities. Uh, His run-in before this last one Dealt with his misuse of a rented EBC. You know, those are the electronic-powered scooters that we see. Basically obese people uh, manipulating the disabled policy at Disney. And they right. they get to, you know, get in front of all the lines for, you know, basically for all the bad choices they've made in life just because they're right. obese. Okay. So, anywho, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? You, you get pissed off at those people all the time. Yep. You're like, hey, you're fat. You have to rent one of those. But then, yet yeah, you get in front of me and I've been waiting two hours. So, anywho, yeah. um. He tried putting his boy, I guess, or his grandson, I don't know, some child on the back seat of that. um, Like, on the back. And one of the cast members says, you know, you couldn't do that. And so they got into it. Um, So that was like just another example of him getting, you know, a run-in with uh, Disney authorities. Well, anyway, you know when we had Michael last week, who was a former Disney World security guard, you know, he mentioned that this guy's room, Grumpy, was raided. Right. And we knew about that, but uh, he confirmed it on the phone. So you and I, like I said, just both heard the exact same thing. We were puzzled as to why his room was being raided. More has leaked out. Well, apparently there were complaints from other guests of strange chemical odors coming from his room. (laughs) Yeah, so in combination of... Him saying I could build a meth lab quicker than, or I could build a meth lab in the time it took for me to wait in this line, and apparently the complaints coming from his room at the resort, I could see where Disney would be proactive on this.
3: Is it... Did the guy really get banned for life for telling the truth? Like, was he? Did he really have a meth lab in his room? I thought they didn't find anything.
2: No, they didn't find anything at all. But apparently, so what was the odor? I I don't know, dude. There were complaints that from multiple people around him that there were some weird odors coming from the room, but they didn't find anything.
3: Huh, that's weird. Yeah, yeah so. you knew that. You knew something else had to be with this guy. But you know what? I've been. To Disney World plenty of times and seen kids riding on their grandparents' laps and stuff like that on those cars and nobody says anything to them so that's kind of nitpicky too if you ask me.
2: Well, this was on the back. This wasn't on his right. lap. This was like on the back. Uh, and I think the baskets are typically up front, though, aren't they? Maybe they're in the back on those. I don't know.
3: Yeah, I don't. I, well, I didn't read the article, but I don't think he was probably ridden in a basket. He was probably just standing on like the bumper, the back bumper, and holding on to his grand, holding on to the dude's shoulders or something. I don't know. Probably that's that's what I imagine.
2: Yeah, all I know is when I see those, and it's a huge obese person. I mean, I, I I, don't know, dude. I can't help but kind of judge, and I hate being judgmental, but you're like, okay, did this, this person just made bad cho- make bad choices in life, and now they get to butt in front of everyone in line after we've been waiting for two hours? I just, I hate those darn things.
3: It most bothers me when I've been waiting for a bus for the longest, because they take up so much room in the buses. Um, oh my gosh, yes.
2: You're waiting for a bus and then all of a sudden some dude that's morbidly obese pulls up when you're about to board the bus and like everything is at a halt and you just hear beep, beep, beep and they're putting down oh, yeah, I completely agree, I understand I dealt with that on my last trip and it just pissed me off to no end um, anywho, enough with my rant that's all I got for you guys Dave, take us back
1: we're traveling backwards in time right now, we're leaving the world of today behind So if your imagination is ready, here we go.
3: This week in Disney history, we have five events that are going to be coming at you. And the month and the day is pretty important as we come upon the first of October. We know about that. So we're talking September 28th, 1982. This is when they first introduced annual passes. Wish I could have one.
2: 1982?
3: September 28th of 1982.
2: Well, I'm shocked they didn't do that sooner. Wow, that didn't come till 1982. That just seems kind of late.
3: Well, you think about what they had before that is the ticket the system. The ticket system, yeah. So um, I guess they finally wised up and decided that they could make more money if they charged a ton and had people just come all the time. Super cool. Yeah, so then the next day, September 29th, this time of 1999, this was the introduction to the Mickey arm holding the wand and the big 2000 over the top of Epcot Spaceship Earth. celebrating the millennium what do you think about that
2: i think it's pretty cool something special and uh you know disney did something pretty cool with that and what better place than to do it at epcot the experimental world uh well excuse me the experimental city of uh tomorrow
3: yeah i think they should have taken the hat from mg from hollywood studios and put it on top of the spaceship earth
2: hey that is a great idea
3: if they've only the structural ability was there.
2: You'd have to have a beam going down the center of that thing to hold that up, dude. That had been awesome, though. All right, October 1st,
3: 1971, and October 1st, 1982, we're going to combine both of these because 71 was the opening of the Magic Kingdom. Along with the Magic Kingdom opening up, two hotels opened up. Which two resorts opened up the same day?
2: Okay, it was, uh, don't tell me, oh my gosh, dude, the Contemporary Resort. And um Floridian?
3: No. Polynesian. Polynesian yeah, yeah, that's
2: what I meant. Polynesian. Why did I say Floridian? Oh go ahead, dude. I don't know. So yeah,
3: so those two opened up along with the Magic Kingdom, October first, seventy one, and then October first, eleven years later, nineteen eighty two, the experimental prototype City of Tomorrow opened up. And this was, uh, of course, Walt's dream to build this prototype city of tomorrow. The uh, the city part never happened, but instead we got an amusement park.
2: Yeah, I wish they would. It will never ever happen. But it'd be kind of cool if they rebuilt it, like eh, the I, of
3: tomorrow work though, because they do have a lot of like futuristic type things and you know interventions tries to bring in what it's gonna look like in the future. So that's kind of cool.
2: Don't they have a subdivision or uh, me. Yeah, they they do
3: Celebration. Is it Celebration?
2: Celebration, that's what I meant to say. Jeez, I am off today. Uh,
3: Celebration is the city that they built. Yeah, Celebration,
2: uh, definitely. You know, that'd be kind of cool if they kind of convert that into like an Epcot-esque region.
3: That'd be pretty cool. That would be cool. Uh, one more date I have for you. This one is October 3rd, 2010. I had to throw this one in there because of me. Uh, I'm a big horse racing fan. Been to the Derby a few times myself. And October yes, 3rd, are. 2010, was the premiere screening of Disney's Secretariat, the greatest horse ever to live.
2: And you have begged me to see that movie, and you've told me go see it, go see it, go see it. And I'm not a big horse racing fan. I just I know you are, and which is which I I see how you know you would see that's that's a fascinating movie. Um, my parents have seen it. They've all said it's great. Um, you go down. Yeah. Like you go down to the Kentucky Derby every year with your parents, right?
3: I haven't been in a few years, but I've been, I've been several times and the this movie really does the story justice. I didn't really have that high expectations. I mean, it's secretariat, but, uh, I took Mia to it actually, my daughter and her and I watched it and, and both of us walked away feeling that it was a pretty good movie. So it's a good one if you haven't seen it. you got to throw in the DVD and watch Secretariat, October 3rd, 2010.
2: Yeah, listeners, Dave is a huge horse racing fan, by the way.
3: Yeah, so we go, we go to the Derby every once in a while. We've been to the Breeders' Cup a few times. Breeders' Cup's actually um, more enjoyable than the Derby. The Derby is just like a big, huge mass of drunkenness, most of it, to be honest with you. We do a lot of people watching at the Derby more than horse racing, to be honest, and uh, – at the, at the at the Breeders' Cup, there's lots of good races. I mean, there's, if if you're a good horse, you're at the Breeders' Cup. That's all I got for you this week in Disney history.
2: Uh-huh. All right, brother. Thanks, man. All right, Dave. So on our show, I just want to tell the listeners that we're bringing on another surprise guest. You know, we have Ethan out of Disneyland who gives us, you know, the new trends and, and news coming from Disneyland. I just want to tell the listeners that We have found our Disney World Insider, who is part of the Florida Plunge Network. He's a a plunger, and he just moved from St. Louis, Missouri a couple months ago. And um, thank God he's still a Rams fan. I was just talking to him today, and um, we were just this and that talking about the Rams. But I want to get him on the line and discuss all the new happenings at the Magic Kingdom with Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween coming and Christmas coming just around the corner, and things like that, just to get his take on the seasonal change and new and upcoming things. So okay. let's go ahead and get him on the line now, Dave.
3: Sounds good. Hello?
2: Hey, John. It's Nick and Dave from the Capates podcast, buddy.
3: Hey, how are you guys doing? Hey, John. Nice to meet you. It's Dave. Hey, nice to meet you too, Dave. Nice to talk to you again, Nick, too.
2: Thanks a lot, buddy. Yeah, Dave is a, a is a huge Rams fan, by the way, just like you. And I think yeah, he's still. That's he, what I like well, yeah, to
3: hear. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm gearing up for this this weekend. Big big matchup against the Steelers. We'll have to see how will they fare against the Iron Curtain. I know. Do you think Gurley's actually going to play? I think they're just teasing us. They're I think they're going to wait till after the bye week. I think so too. I think you're, I don't think he's going to play Sunday.
2: Hey, John. Thanks for coming on, bud. Um, we just we want to get your take, and I was just telling our listeners. Uh, You know, that you may come on every now and then and and, uh, just discuss, you know, new happenings at the Magic Kingdom and and around, you know, just the Florida area in general. Um, But uh, so you just recently moved from St. Louis, Missouri, down to Orlando, and I'm calling you a plunger, if that's okay because you kind of got set up with uh, the Florida Plunge Network via the Internet. And kind of um, established some relationships with Scott and um, and others and kind of followed his template is, is that am I correct in saying that
4: yeah yeah I had been watching a lot of um, Scott's periscopes I it's funny I didn't find out about his blog and his website with all the information on his Facebook page till after the fact actually coming down here I more so had just been watching a lot of his periscope videos because I was big into just you know everything Disney, anything I could get my hands on with that, and um, watch his videos, and then once we came down here, I got into contact with him on Twitter and Periscope, and uh, met up with him, and met up with a lot of other Florida plungers. I know there's a lot of people that do follow that, and definitely use that resource to use the information to come down here, and it's definitely a valuable asset to do that. But yeah, I just got into contact with a, a ton of people in that group, and we've met a lot of great people since we've come down here um, within that group, and it's just awesome.
2: Real quick, how many times do you get to the parks?
4: Man, you know, it's, what's funny is is I just started my job on Monday. So you finally
2: started. Nice. I fine. <laughs> that was like two, week, finally, two weeks after the fact, right?
4: Yes, I was supposed to start like last Monday, but it got pushed back for whatever reason, which, you know... I thought it was a blessing in disguise because then, you know, I got a whole nother week to go down to the parks and have fun with my family and definitely took full advantage of it. But, yeah, so now I'm back in the grind to going to work, which is awesome, but I definitely miss being able to go down as much as we were when we first moved down here because, you know, we came down the middle of July of this year, obviously, and I just went back to work Monday. But I would say on average, since we moved down here, we were going between Disney parks and resorts, Universal and SeaWorld. Not so much SeaWorld. We'd only gotten there a couple times, but mostly Disney and Universal. We were going like four or five times a week.
2: Wow. That's awesome.
4: And, yeah, and we have kind of a little bit of a commute from where we are. We're about 30 minutes without traffic, but with I-4, there's always traffic here in Orlando, so sometimes it takes us 45 minutes to an hour to get all the way down there, but I'm definitely not complaining about that because I know there's a lot of people that <laughs> don't want to hear me... Uh, <laughs> griping about how long it takes me to get to Disney with being as close as we are.
2: <laughs> right. So what have you noticed around the parks?
4: So, you know, the one thing that is really huge to me, and it doesn't matter if you are, you know, uh, just staying on property or going to Disney just for a couple of days here and there, if you're going to Animal Kingdom, you cannot miss how big the Avatar Land building is that they are building really is humongous it is so and what's so funny you know as i'm sure you guys know disney's very good about hiding their show buildings and trying to keep that magic up you know right now with them being in the building phase it just sticks sticks out like such a sore a sore thumb i mean (laughs) it's so visible from the time you come in from the main road and go through um, you know, the entrance to where you're paying the toll or just come, coming through um, via the bus system, it's humongous. I mean, I, I can't put into perspective how big it is, but you cannot miss it. And I, I'm really looking forward to how they're going to actually hide that show building.
2: <laughs> what are we talking about, 100, 100 yards maybe?
4: I, I, you know, I, I'm horrible about <laughs> putting things in numbers. All I can say is it is absolutely massive. And, you know, just to couple that, when you, when you actually get into the park, and you head over by Rainforest Cafe, there's a little side entrance over there. If you walk up towards the back entrance of Rainforest Cafe, so there's a, a front entrance and then a back entrance when you're actually in the park, you can see the uh, mountains, that they're, the floating mountains that they're building very well from that second entrance, and those look like they're gonna be really, really cool when they're all
3: done, too. Yeah, I'm there's sure- There's so only so much you can hide with the construction barriers, isn't there?
4: Absolutely. So I, you know, I'm just I'm really curious how how they're going to hide that massive show building. It's going to be really neat to see what they do with that in the next coming years.
2: Amazing. What have you noticed around the Magic Kingdom? I know Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween is kind of up and running. Um, they've pretty much changed the scenery around there.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. F- the fall time is always super fun with how much they change things around, and you know, down Main Street with all the different. Wing themed stuff with the extra, you know, garland and the wreaths and the pumpkins that they put up. One thing that I really love is all the scarecrows that they put in right towards the uh, beginning of Main Street, right where you can meet, like, Pluto and Minnie Mouse. And I forget what other characters, when you first come in to the Magic Kingdom, it's just in that little circle area right in the beginning yeah. of uh, Main Street. They had several different scarecrows up and I'll be honest with you, I've only visited, before we moved here, I've only been to okay. Disney in the fall, like, twice to see the actual decorations. So I don't know if all those Scarecrow's are something they just repurpose every year or not. But it, it's really cool how they have, like, one of them's wearing, like, a baseball outfit that says, you know, Casey's Corner on it. And so it's not just, like, Scarecrow's
3: put up for just Halloween per se. They have it, actually have them seen to different Disney things within the park. So that's yeah, kind of cool. Yeah, I think they... I think they have those up every year. Uh, my favorite part, my, first of all, fall is my favorite time for decorations. Those, they have the best decorations up, but although I hate the time frame of it, my my favorite mm-hmm. part is the, the pumpkins that, that spell out, see you real soon.
4: Oh, yeah, I know. That's so cool, isn't it? My wife, it's funny, I didn't notice that. My wife just pointed out, out to me the other day. I want to say like last Saturday. So it was like the Saturday before I went to work, and she noticed that on her way out. I thought that was really neat, too.
2: In Epcot, have you taken the uh, the drinking challenge, drinking around the world? You know, I, I
4: haven't actually done it to where you go to each civilian, but my God, I've been to Epcot so many times. and I've You scope so there quite a bit. <laughs> I do. I, I absolutely love Epcot. As much, as much as it pains me to say and it pains my wife to say, it's more and more becoming my favorite park. That's and what I told I Dave, a huge man. huge Magic Kingdom person. And I know there's, you know, a lot of people that love old school Epcot. And unfortunately, I never got to experience that. And I'm sure I would love it tenfold more compared to what it is currently. But I just love the feeling. Well, I guess I love the feeling I get anytime I go to a Disney park. But just something about Epcot is different to me. I just love how open it is and the different experiences you get to have.
3: You yeah. know what that means, don't you? <laughs> what does it mean? You're growing up. You're growing up. You graduated from the kid park to the adult park.
2: That's what Dave told me when I told him this past summer that Epcot was growing on me because I used to absolutely hate that uh, that park, but it's growing on me, and I love it. It's becoming one of my favorites.
4: That's hilarious. But, yeah, at, at Epcot right now, too, it's so funny. I was supposed to go to a uh, a food and wine preview night tonight because, you know, food and wine starts tomorrow, which I'm sure everybody's looking forward to. It, it is awesome. I've gone there once or twice myself for it, you know, before we moved here. But, uh, my gosh, there's just – you cannot walk 10 feet around World Showcase without running into another kiosk.
2: Wow. So I'm going to take you I, over. Go ahead.
4: I was just going to say, you know, the last time I had – we hadn't been to Food & Wine since – I want to say 2011 was the last time my wife and I went. And I, I remember there being tons of their kiosks and everything like that. I don't remember it being like this. It's like becoming I, more literally and more you enter yeah and I mean they just keep adding more and more of those key hockey teams like every year and it's you're you're gonna you're gonna be more broken ever before it seems like this year
3: when you go
2: <laughs> so I'm gonna switch gears I'm gonna take you over to Hollywood Studios what changes have you noticed they got a lot of changes going on over there
3: tell me they haven't gotten um, rid of one stream dream yet oh uh, no you know I, and by the way as a side
4: note here, I hope, I hope to God you guys have gone to Marceline. Please, please tell me you have.
2: We are taking a trip. We're going to take a field trip, the, both, uh, the two of us, and we're going to try to get his buddy Mike from Be Our Guest Podcast out there and basically do a podcast from Marceline, Missouri. Now, did you get a chance to go out there? Yes. You
4: know, it, it, what's so funny is, like, our house sold so quickly, but it was always on our bucket list before we moved here to go there just because he— a lot of people don't know, but as you guys know, it's not the easiest place to get to. Right. Um, if you're just directly going to St. Louis or Kansas City, it's a little bit of a drive either way. So it was definitely on our bucket list and we made it there like a week before we came out here. So we got to go there and experience all that stuff and it's awesome and I can't recommend going there enough to anybody that's within the area. But to uh, but to caveat off of what you're saying there, yeah, what's, what's changed at Magic Kingdom is, it's you know, depending upon... What you want to do there, there can be plenty of things to do. Or if you're in the situation like I am, I have a 21-month-old son, and it's just my wife and I, there's not a lot to do there right now. And, you know, they're just gradually closing things more and more, it seems like. And I know there's the roof mills always out there with one man's dream closing and, uh, you know, stuff that's going to be coming down the pipeline with Star Wars land and everything else. Um, obviously, the magic of Disney animation is closed now, which breaks my heart because I'm a terrible person. I'm terrible at drawing, but my wife's really good at it. Every time we went, it was a, a fun opportunity for her to remind me how horrible I am at drawing and how good she is. <laughs> right. And we can't do that anymore.
2: <laughs> well, Dave and I were saying last week, they when they do close down One Man's Dream, they should get rid of the great movie ride and make that a dark ride through one's, One Man's Dream.
4: Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, I, I I, just I hope if One Man's Dream does go away which from everything it sounds like it is I hope they do something with it and they just don't piece out all that stuff and put it everywhere. I think that's an awesome tour to go on. Well, not tour, but you know, an awesome uh, experience to it's go It's like a museum, through, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing and they, i just hope they don't piece it out or get rid of it completely even if they were to move it somewhere or like you're saying repurpose it that way just something it's it's walt disney world yeah, you gotta no have doubt. something with walt in there
2: all right john well hey man thanks for coming on we really do appreciate it uh, and hopefully this uh opens the door to to call you in the future if that's the case is that cool
4: absolutely i'd love to talk to you guys anytime i appreciate it
2: all right how can uh our listeners uh hit you up on your twitter feed and and scopes
4: All right, so my uh, Twitter handle and my Periscope name are both the same. I have a little bit confusing with the name, so the easiest thing to do is just go in and search The Tiki Garden. It's going to come up that way, or if you actually want my exact handle, it's at the underscore Tiki underscore garden. Like I said, if you just search The Tiki Garden, it comes up.
2: Yeah, listeners, go ahead and follow him. He is at the parks all the time, and uh, he's got some great scope. So thanks again. Uh, uh, thanks again, John. We really do appreciate it. It's crazy. You know, Dave, John just lived right down the street from me. Like really? seriously, within like <laughs> a couple miles. It's it's insane. Awesome. And uh, so when I, when I heard about that, he, you know, he had moved, you know, through Scott, it just made me that more depressed because someone just right down the road just moved to Orlando as well, so... Anywho, to to the punch. I know, oh. right? Hey, thanks, John. World, really you appreciate it, buddy. Talk to you soon. Hey,
3: can't wait. All right,
4: thank you, Nick, thanks Dave. All right, buddy. Go right, Rams. You.
2: Go Rams. That's right. the darkest side of disney and we have with us a true dark sider who set out on a quest really an adventure to document another side of disney perhaps most people didn't even know exist it's not the underbelly of disney it's not what i'm going to talk to you about but rather an adult alternative uh, way in taking your next disney vacation i just want to put this disclaimer out there again do not listen if you're not at least 18 years of age Some of our discussion tonight uh, may be for mature audiences only. So with that said, hey, Philip, welcome to the Mouse to Page podcast, man. What have you been up to lately?
0: How's How's it going? Uh, (laughs) That's a good little intro. I like it.
2: Well, we do have have, uh, second graders and uh, we're two school teachers. So we have kids from school that listen to our podcast every now and then. But when I put that disclaimer out, their parents won't let them listen to it or they'll shut it off. So they're used to this
0: and when we'll, we'll keep it we'll keep it uh, in the PG13 realm um, well, it's funny, I teach, Well, speaking of what I do right now, is uh, I'm a filmmaker, documentary filmmaker, uh, and we'll get more into that in a second, but I actually teach filmmaking here in New York in the public
2: schools. Oh, nice.
0: Um, yeah, I work with a couple different organizations that um, integrates the arts into the current curriculum of New York City public schools, and so I'm, I'm lucky enough, I, I started making movies when I was 13 years old, I, I got my first video camera then, and, and whenever there was like a book report or anything like that in school, um, my friends and I would basically... We had started as like begging. We'd beg the teachers to be like, can we make a movie instead of doing a book report? And they'd say, yeah, okay, sure. Um, and then after I think after the first, you know, maybe second, third time that somebody said yes, we just stopped even asking and we just kept we'd come to school with like a VHS tape in our hands of nice. uh, an adaptation of Lord of the Flies or, or whatever we were doing at that time. Um, and they always were the most like ridiculously like violent, like grotesque, like, uh, you know, just foul language, like, you know, films that you could never imagine. Uh, and uh, most teachers would like shut it off halfway through and be like, I, hey, well, you guys get a, a C plus for effort. Um, <laughs> content is a little questionable. Right. Um, so yeah, I understand that. Uh, but so what I'm doing right now though is that, uh, I am, uh, this is my, um, second documentary film. It's, it's called The, the Dark Side of Disney. Um, and it is inspired by the book of the same name by Leonard Kinsey, which is the best selling, uh, tra- like sort of adult travel guide um uh, about how to have fun at the disney parks from uh, a more adult perspective so it's basically like you know his book is is hilarious uh, and it's really like laid out in a very humorous way um but he does give you like straight up honest tips about you know where to get you know cheap parking how to get you know discount tickets places to you know get drunk in the park the best things like that and uh and specifically the whole like end of his book the part that i always thought was really entertaining. Uh, Is this sort of um, really like intense account of the first time that he ever just snuck into the utilidors below the Magic Kingdom uh, in in Walt Disney World, Um, which is something that honestly, after doing it myself, uh, I went through all these steps for the film. I I, I had a fake ID made by this guy who uh, I met on the Internet. Uh, I want to
2: get into that in, in a little bit. But yeah, that was cool.
0: Yeah, so there's a guy out there, and we can talk more about it. But there's a guy out there who will, you know, for the right price, make you a counterfeit Walt Disney World cast member ID. How much does that uh, cost? So for me, it was free. The guy was kind enough, and I actually never found out exactly how much. Um, but he, the guy, was more than happy enough to to make an ID. There's my favorite. My wife points at it out every time because it's kind of the most hilarious thing. Is that there? There's a great shot of the ID. You only see it for like a minute or less, you know, like a second really in the film. But if you look at it, it it has, it has my picture on it and it's my actual name. Right. Uh, I
2: noticed that.
0: And it's my birthday also. There's like my birthdays on there too. So it's like. The worst fake ID, because if anyone that would be like, hey, who, what is this? You know, they could confiscate it and then have my actual, like, name and birth date. Right. And be able to find me probably pretty easily. Um, and at the time, when I, the guy asked me, like, can you send me a picture and, like, what name do you want to own it? I didn't even think about it. Uh, and every time I, like, I'll, I'll be, like, in an audience, uh, a crowd of people watching the movie, and I could just hear my wife, like, chuckle in the back, like, one, like... You know, isolated a bit of laughter every time that shows up on screen.
2: <laughs> no, I was, I was texting with uh, Jared from Mouse Rants today. Yeah, and, uh, he's a great guy. He had mentioned that he just got done hanging out with you over at uh, Walt Disney World with you and uh, Raptor. How'd that go, That's, man?
0: I actually wasn't there. That's funny. That
2: yeah, Oh, we, well, then maybe I could have gotten that completely wrong then. Obviously, I did. He he actually
0: met Jared. So Jared came. We did a rough cut screening of, of the film okay. um, here in July in New York, and he came to that. So I met him there. And then uh, he definitely hung out with Logan Bass Raptor um, a couple weeks ago uh, at the park. Yeah, nice. uh, he's a good guy. I liked I, we, the episode we did on, on Mouse France was really good.
2: Yeah, it's supposed to be coming out in about a week or so now. We're trying to get on to his show. I think it's going to try to plug us in like uh, late October, near the end of October. So I'm really looking forward to that one. I'm a cool. fan of his show. I think it's hilarious. It's just really off the beaten path of a traditional Disney podcast. And that's what just kind of draws me into it. Um, Yeah. It's
0: funny how many different kinds there are out there. I mean, I've, I've become um, like my new weird, like nerd flag that I've been waving is that um, I uh, not only did I interview Dana Snyder, the voice of Aqua Teen Hunger Forces. Mr. Shake for the film. uh, He came out for the West coast premiere of the film that we had uh, in August um, in Anaheim. We, during D23 um we booked a, a theater that was about a 10 minute drive from the convention center um and we had a deal where if you brought like a D23 badge you'd get 50% off your ticket nice and so we had yeah it worked out really well we had about 150 people come and um Dana came out and was everybody that's in the movie came out uh for it uh which was phenomenal it was amazing to see how many people were willing to come whether they're at D23 or not like to come down to to the theater that we were doing it but um you know, a new, like, biggest, like, nerd flag I've been waving is that, like, I'm, like, officially, Dana Snyder called me on the telephone to ask me a question the other day. <laughs> when I saw his name on my phone, I was like, what? what? Why is no, he calling? Cool. Why's, He's why's calling me. Call me. Yeah, and then we just, like, chatted for 15 minutes about the legal use of uh, whether or not you can use the the name Disney or the Disney font. It's a funny thing. So, it's yeah, it's weird to see, like, um... See, His podcast, Drunk on Disney, is, like, one of those that is – so it's hilarious. It's – every episode of them uh, is just him and and Guy uh, Guy Hutchinson and Bart Scott just, like, getting trashed, basically, and just, like, rambling for two hours about Disney. It's hilarious.
2: With actual drinks from the park, right? I mean, they're making drinks from the park.
0: Every episode they make a a drink from the park, from – it could be, you know, anything from the, you know, uh, from the sci-fi drive-in, you know, diner or from, like, you know, Japanese Pavilion in Epcot or whatever – uh, and then that's what they drink throughout the episode. And then they kind of just go off uh, on their own and see see where that drink takes them.
3: And how are you received with the Disney community? Like you just mentioned, you went out to the D23 and booked a theater. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of feedback have you gotten from the Disney community, like people from the, you know, like that run the D23
0: and things like that? So initially, there was a lot of, um, like, a lot of pushback against, even people that were like tapped into the more of the dark side scene. There were people, um, there are people that, that had books published by Leonard Kinsey's publishing company. He, he has his own company that publishes The Dark Side of Disney and, right. um, Half of the Disney Saboteurs and all this stuff, all these other books. Um, and people that had books published by Leonard, who I, I thought, oh, that'd be nice to get to know them. and. Maybe to hear their stories, they really kept their distance. Like the, I saw a lot of like fences thrown up like immediately when, when people heard I wanted to make a documentary that was inspired by Leonard's book, which I thought was so funny because I understood that maybe like people like who were more severe pixie dusters would want to be like, no, that's don't get away from me. But even people that were I thought of as darksiders were immediately like, nope, don't, I don't want to do that. I it's all well and good their, their point of view it seemed like was it's all well and good to read a book about something that happened, um, but it's a different game if you're like taking part um on camera uh you know doing these uh some right. would say illicit activities um and so then it, it, what my pitch always was is that if you look at the work I've done before in the past um my my work tends my documentary work tends to uh take a look at like this sort of these fringe uh communities and uh, get to the heart of what they what they're all about um and that was always my intention with the dark side of disney so if you look at the film, I think people will see that name and they'll see the book and they'll be like, oh, God, this guy, he must hate Disney. Um, but the one thing is that I think that if you're a true fan of something, you want to absorb it from like all sides. You know what I mean? You want to know about the light side and the dark side. and You want to just devour it. That's like the, what the true like rabid fan wants to do. Um, but then if you also watch the film, if you actually give the film a chance, you'll see that it's actually like this really kind of almost – sweet kind of love letter to disney in a way um and i think anyone that had a problem with it i I haven't had anyone since the film is out now and people have been like it's not actually out yet but since we've been doing screenings and people have like started to see it um people that were in the beginning had some objections when they actually saw the, the finished piece uh they realized that um it was actually this very you know positive story about disney uh the biggest thing my wife said to me was that she never she could never understand how um my mom was so obsessed You Disney. Know, my mom lives in Ohio and has a season pass and goes four or five times a year. And, of course, she's in the movie a lot talking about the illicit activities we did, like scattering my grandmother's ashes in the moat around um, Cinderella Castle or Sleeping Beauty Castle. I always get the two mixed up. She never really understood my mom's obsession with Disney, but then when she saw the film, she realized that it... What, it, it explained everything to her, and my wife, uh, about why my mom was the way she was with Disney, um, and it was just. It, it, I think if people give give the film a chance, they'll they'll see that it's this heartfelt kind of s- the sentimental look at the the nostalgia for Disney for the past.
2: It seemed like you know you brought up your mom, and that's a great segue. Um, it seemed like your mom was like the main focus in the beginning and kind of wrapping things up at the end was the intent there, like just to display the love or, or deep passion people truly have for this childhood place to just start us off there.
0: Yeah. When I, I started talking to, so I made this other film called the bubble uh, and it's about the Disney built town of celebration, Florida. Um, and it's a, uh, you know, it's a very simple uh, documentary that interviews the people that live in the town and gives, uh, you know, the other, everyone outside of the bubble, um, that's what they refer to it in town there. Uh, they refer to the celebration as, as living under this bubble. Um, it's, a, it's a nice little peek into this like, strange little community that Disney created. Um, and when that film was done, I, I was trying to find ways to kind of promote it, uh, you know, people that would maybe want to uh, you know, kind of campaign for it. Uh, and Leonard Kinsey came to mind because I would read The Dark Side of Disney a long time ago. Um, when it first came out. And so I sent him a copy and then we started talking and then um, I pitched to him the idea like, hey, what if we made a documentary uh, sort of based on your book? And initially, that's the first thing that I was going to do is going to be based on the book. And I went to Baltimore where he lives and I interviewed him and it was great. Um, but then I stepped back and I, I did an interview with my mom because I know that we had done this sort of dark side thing with scattering my grandmother's ashes. And my mom always, like, growing up also was, like, the, like, Disney, like, like fanatic. Like, she knew the parks, like, the back of her hand. Like, we would go to, like, the, you know, electrical light parade at Magic Kingdom and then have to, like, run in the last five minutes to get on the monorail to go to Epcot to then see Illuminations. You know what I mean? We would do it all, like, in one night. And she was always kind of a maniac about it. But um that's just how she loved to experience the park. Uh And so when I talked to my mom in, in the interview I did with her about Scattering the Ashes, it became clear to me that the film shouldn't necessarily be um, uh, an adaptation of The Dark Side of Disney. It should be more about um, it being sort of uh, inspiring the flow of the film. Uh, and what I, my mom really also inspired me to find others like herself. So I knew that my mom was kind of kooky, and I, I met Leonard, and he's kind of kooky. Um, and I knew that there were all of these other people out there that have this like kind of different lens through which they looked at Walt Disney World. Um, and when I started putting it out there, I started getting these emails and started meeting these people. Uh, and they're all—they all have these just the most bizarre, unique like fascinations with the park um, that fascinated me. And I think it comes through in the film as a, as a kind of a little um, peek into the lives of these of these Disney fans.
2: Is it true? I read this online. You had about 532 backers that basically pledged just over twenty-one thousand dollars to help you bring this project to life.
0: It was Kickstarter. Yeah, we well, actually did two Kickstarters. That was just for the first one. So. Um, we did a, a production Kickstarter, um, which we raised twenty one thousand five hundred and thirty two backers, and then we did a second uh, post production um, Kickstarter um, to get the film wrapped up because we, you know, it's you can always filmmaking is such an expensive thing even on this independent documentary level, and you can always budget for so much, and then all of a sudden you're like, well shit, this it's all gone now. Um, so we came back for a second Kickstarter where we raised um, a little over, um, I think it was a little over fifteen thousand. Is that right? I'm not, I can't remember. Um, but at the end it was 811 people. We had 811 people, um, contribute over $30,000 total. Um, so that was just just amazing. Like I can't even, like if you, you think about like a movie theater, like, you know, you get a large movie theater and maybe it seats like 500 people. Like, so imagine a theater with like 811 people there to like see your film. Uh, it's really exciting. Uh, and I'm really, I'm so excited because we haven't, I haven't even kind of released it out to those people yet, uh. We've invited people um, to screenings that we've had. Of course, some of them can't make it because they're, you know, they live in other cities or they live overseas. Um, but I'm really excited. We're going to uh, release a little early digital copy to all of them on November 15th uh, in honor of my daughter's first birthday.
2: Oh, awesome! Well, yeah. So, what was the hardest part filming uh, the film in itself? Was it the sequencing, uh, adapting Leonard Kinsey's book? To the film, coordinating with fan groups, individuals that – like how did you get – how did you even get in contact with individuals? <laughs> like you found that one dude on the internet that would sell you a fake ID, which blows my mind away that you said that. it answers one of my questions. I wanted to know how you got in touch with him, but that means Disney can see that person online as well.
0: Yeah, so it's – in retrospect it all seemed so easy now like uh, at at the time part of what was so interesting about meeting all these people and like starting these conversations with people um i either directly met them through leonard so like the fake id guy met through leonard because there's a little sequence in the film where leonard shows off his fake id that he has which doesn't have his real name on it um because he's smarter than i am i guess (laughs) uh and uh and so I met the fake ID guy through him I met um, Hoot Gibson who is you know the sort of urban explorer guy who uh, had built his own animatronic stuff now and he was gonna right. jump off horizons and stuff like that he I met him through Leonard um, and then I'm trying to think the other then the one the one uh, Leonard uh, Logan based Raptor who loves Christopher Cross he approached me he was friends with Leonard and Hoot. On Facebook and he wrote me a message one day which the message is there in the film and like it's uncut like uh, unedited uh, glory uh, where he just kind of just spews it out there and says like I gotta be in this movie like this is this is my dream to be in this movie Um, and then that only leaves the the other people I met um, James uh, H. Carter the second who is uh, the host of Creepy Kingdom which is another talk about other uh, Disney podcasts his his, his podcast is phenomenal right he I met him he emailed me when I was done with the bubble and I had like put it out there. It was, it's, you can get the bubble on Amazon and stuff now. And he emailed me and was like, oh, this is so cool. Like this falls right into like the creepy kingdom vein. Uh, and I, I went on his podcast when I released the bubble. Um, and we talked and then I've been back on that show like four times now and he, he's just been this amazing kind of like, Like I I would almost I would like I would say Angel, but I think that would offend him because he's more of like this creepy dude. But he has always just been he comes to everything. Like he came to Baltimore for a screening of the bubble we did when we were promoting the um, Kickstarter for Dark Side of Disney. Uh, He came to New York when we had a Kickstarter like wrap up party after we finished the first one for the Dark Side of Disney. Um, He came to Anaheim and it was his idea, actually, originally to to do he, he said D23 happens this date. Here is a theater that's ten minutes away. You should book this theater for the premiere, uh, and I don't think the film would be done right now if it wasn't for James being like, "We should do this premiere. Like, you should do this. It would be great." Uh, they really put a, a fire under my under my butt to get get it done. And then he connected me to the um, the uh, social club at Disneyland, the, the Bangerang Bunch. Yeah, okay, that's um, where I was going to get it at. Yep. So it, yeah, it's all kind of connected. And then and so the hardest part to go back to your original question, when the hardest part of it all. Um, was the over like um over planning that we did in the beginning, like I had all of this like these fascinations and like ideas that we were going to have like these hidden cameras, and we'd have to like sneak in and do all this crazy stuff um because we wouldn't be able to like walk in with cameras or anything and every conversation I'd have with Leonard about stuff like this was always like he his paranoia is like turned up to eleven because he's has so many different stories of so many different people being banned that he knows uh, for doing the kind of stuff we did um but when it actually came down to time to for me to, like, go to Disney World for the week, I went with two of my friends who both are filmmakers in their own right. Um, they, but they're but they both filmmakers in their own right, but they also didn't have the sort of commitment uh, or the connection that I had to this whole big project. Like, they're great filmmakers, but they were like, oh, you're, you're paranoid. Like, don't worry about it. We'll just walk in. No one will know. Um, and literally, like, we walked in and no one cared. Like, we walked in with backpacks, like, filled with, like, camera equipment, like cameras and shoulder mounts and boom mics and... And they would, like, open the bag and be like, have a magical day. Didn't care that we were doing that. Um, And it's so easy with modern, like, digital technology. You can easily roll in with a a DSLR, you know, a high-end Canon, you know, it looks like a regular camera, but it shoots great video and you have a little, you know, location recorder for audio um, attached to it. Uh, and so it works out really well. Everything that you saw, like in the utilidor sequ- sequence, is all shot on my phone. Um, so everything we shot in the Utilidors was all done just on my iPhone. Which at, at first, like I had to do some tests for that, so it was a little nerve wracking. I, I was wondering,
2: sure that- I was wondering if you were carrying the camera. Yeah, so not. I did
0: a lot of, like, pretending to be, like, texting or whatever, but was holding the phone, you know, horizontally and um, shooting uh, from the hip. And we have – there's, like, so much footage from that, but a lot of it is actually unusable because it's just, like, you know, a wall. <laughs> I think I'm filming something else. And um, you were,
2: you were stopped by security as well, and you kind of had to flash your ID. We did, and
0: it, I, I think that sequence is really funny in the film, too, because you, you hear the – the as, for, as cool as, like, I'm trying to be, you hear, like, the, the anxiety in my voice. You
2: hear me go, oh oh, oh oh right <laughs> like, right totally like oh, I'm'm sorry I'm sorry yeah I um, want I want to backtrack a little bit too because one sure. thing that just blew my mind away you received a text from Leonard right before you entered the magic Kingdom uh what did it say again it's a trap or, or...
0: so there was that there that a little fudged in the in the film a little bit but yeah I, there was a guy there was somebody who was emailing me that was like, oh, I work at the park. If you want to go anywhere, let me know. You know, I will uh I have an employee ID and you can come for free and I'll take you wherever you want. And you can film all you want. And I forwarded that email to Leonard. And I was like, oh, look at this. This guy's so nice. He wants to hang out. <laughs> and then Leonard wrote back and was like, don't. It's a trap. Like, don't. It's don't don't follow that guy. Don't meet him. Don't do anything with him because um, that guy's obviously like an employee who like is aware that you did this Kickstarter, is aware that you're making this movie, uh, and if you, like, get in touch with him, meet up with him, you're going to get banned. Uh, and almost every, like, correspondence I had with people, uh, I would send a letter to kind of approve, and he would be like, nope, it's a trap, like, every time.
2: Yeah, well, you got to err on the side of caution, man.
0: Definitely, definitely, yeah. And, uh, and so in the end, uh, all of that, like, you know, and I kept brushing off, like, yeah, I never did email that guy back about, you know, getting all access or whatever um but it did come to a head and what you see play out in the film is that we did we were staying off-site at at this like um you know these cheap suites um and we bought tickets from the hotel that morning and the disney system was down uh and they had to give me these paper tickets and it it plays out in the film um in a way that like my paranoia is kind of like bubbling like up based on all these these conversations i had with with leonard and it's very very silly
2: Definitely, man. Mine, uh, I, would, I would be as well. Um, going back down to the Utilidors, though, so mm-hmm. I've always I've only seen, like, the tour, touristy part of the Utilidors, you know, when you take the tour. Um, yeah. I think it's called the Keys of the Kingdom tour. Um, how was it beyond that? I mean, I've seen the video and stuff like that, um, and I'm sure you were, like you just said, you were very nervous and you were stopped by security at one point for not, you know, having your, your ID out exposed, you know, out on your person. But, I mean, what else... Other than what Leonard, I guess, has written in his book, did you see anything different? Or had things changed a little bit? You know, the
0: one thing that, that I say in the, in the movie that is 100% true, I think, is that, you know, you go down thinking you're going to see, like, you know, a guy in a Mickey Mouse costume with the head off, like, smoking, a uh, you know, goofy, like, taking a sip from a flask, um, and you don't see any of that. It's just kind of like, it's actually, it's, it, you're, you're really excited to be down there because you're 100% trespassing, uh, and there's that thrill inside of you that, you know, you that definitely bubbles up, but... Uh, at the end of the day, it just kind of just feels like you're behind the scenes at a mall, like, you know, or, you know, you're in a place you shouldn't be. Uh, and it's cool because you, you're, you like, if you're super into it, you can like see why it's cool. But then I had this really big concern, like, is anyone that's not into Disney really going to care? Uh, especially in the context of like a documentary film? Um, And so Magic Kingdom itself, I was kind of underwhelmed by. Like, I definitely had that thrill of being, you know, trespassing. But the stuff that got me that I thought was super cool was all the Epcot stuff that we did. And there's stuff that didn't end up in the movie. Um, Like, I don't know if you guys remember the old uh, at the land, they had a a thing called Food Rocks. And it was like this like silly, like educational, like animatronic food, um, rock and roll nutrition show. Uh, and the guy who, who took me around, the guy who made me the fake ID, like took me to like behind, it's like right behind where they built soaring, uh, in Epcot and you can like hear the queue music, uh, and everything. And you hear people on the other side of this wall, but where we were on the backside of this, like queue for soaring, it was like the original stage for food rocks. Like we had to go through all these like back doors and, and and it just like, I didn't even put it in the movie because it just is like this pit that has like this little elevator in it where, you know, like, like people, the little electronic things would come up out of the ground. Um, and it doesn't really look like anything. Uh, so that's why I didn't make it a movie. Um, but just to be there and be like, Oh yeah, I remember being like a eight year old kid and seeing this and thinking it was the best thing ever. Uh, and so there is that infectious kind of uh, nostalgia that I think you find specifically more at Epcot. Cause for some reason at Epcot, there's all these like uh, things that are still there. Like like the, that, that second floor of imagination, um, that is still there, but it's just like crumbling. Like it's just all—it's like your childhood is just dissolving and in, in, inside these these forgotten areas for some reason.
3: So, did you see like all the animatronics
0: from that Food Rocks? No, there's none of them. Like none of those things are there. It's just like the okay, sets. like there's like very like you know sparse set items, and then there's like some of the the mechanics for like the the set to move and everything, but not not the actual like um, uh, animatronics.
3: That is weird. You'd think they'd have a warehouse or something they could put that.
2: Right. Aside. You think you know, and this isn't the first case in other areas. And you know, this Philip, uh, it just it blows my mind away that Disney just lets things, lets everything just sit and mm-hmm. deteriorate. They don't get rid of all that stuff and you know just refurbish and make it something different or mm-hmm. tear down a wall and make something bigger. There was an interview, and I don't remember. Maybe it was
0: on Communicore Weekly or something. An interview with a guy who was um, the Dreamfinder, who like played the Dreamfinder at the the parks um and he'd walk around in costume you know the the guy from journey into imagination uh and he he was very he's very interesting character and actually um bamboo forest leonard kinsey's company publishes a book by him um and his whole thing was that like theme parks are in this like he looks at theme parks as like art like as an art form um and it's just like any other early art form because theme parks haven't been around for for that long um but if you look at like the early days of cinema like people were just like making movies and then showing them and then like burning all of like the the film uh you know and the tv they like it, there was, there's like a whole you know there's there's like seasons of doctor who that are gone forever because the bbc was just like erasing videotapes that had the master copies on them because people didn't appreciate the what they were doing at the time they didn't realize the the history that was being made um, and it's similar to what i think we're seeing and this is what the Dreamfinder guy said uh with, with theme parks is that they're not thinking of it as this historic thing they're kind of just being like all right we're done with this throw it on the, the, the fire and move on. Um, and they tend to move on to just what's the next, you know, big, great thing. There was some, like, internet rumor going around that they were going to build a fifth park at, uh, it was a total joke, Disney World, that was just going to be all of, like, the ch- attractions they'd closed. And so it's going to be, like, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride and Horizons and uh, Extraterrestrial and uh, and all those kind of things. Yeah, that uh, comes out every year on April Fool's Day. That yeah. Be, that yeah. It does. And you see that and you're like, you know what, why not? Like, that would be amazing. But, of totally course, should. yeah, there's, like, a... Uh, probably a million reasons why they wouldn't but yeah so that's that's the thing yeah it, it totally blows my mind and that's if for some reason at epcot there is a lot of that still there there's a lot of these like if you the wonders of life pavilion is such a joke these days because it's just where they host like the food and wine stuff or whatever is a seasonal thing um but there's a lot of doors in that wonders of life pavilion you can just walk into and be like oh this is a set for cranium command like it's just sitting here huh. <laughs> yeah it's
3: very strange that's crazy. So, have you been to all four parks to do
0: this kind of uh, kind of work? We haven't. We haven't. We, it was for the film. We just went to Magic Kingdom and EPCOT, and then we um, we spent a day or we spent a morning really at Hollywood Studios. Um, and I think, I, from what I can remember in Leonard's book, there's not much about the the, the other two uh, Hollywood Studios and uh, Animal Kingdom. Um, Probably because they're so new, right? Yeah, so there's not much really going on. I think we're. I think we're seeing this kind of shift and change in Hollywood studios uh, now with the way that they're going to change everything. So maybe there'll be things to do, but um, and then animal kingdom just seems like a, you're asking for, you know, to be, you know, gored by a rhinoceros <laughs> or something. If you go in the wrong place.
2: Well, going to Epcot, um, um, you know, you did, you did go into their utility Obviously it wasn't underground, but there was an but epi- there was a scene in your documentary where you were hightailing it out of there because security <laughs> was kind of, creeping up on you can you explain so we i i was very open
0: to the guy who showed me around um and i was very underwhelmed i was like oh you know yeah okay i get it. it's cool we got some good footage and i was just kind of getting tired and i was like oh, that's whatever he's like i and he finally said i got to show you the the, the best thing and it, and it was it was the that um image works uh whatever it's called um second floor of journey into imagination which i say in the film like i totally remember going uh, out there as a kid and like playing with all the interactive stuff and so we're up there and we're just like poking around and I, I was filming as much as I could and trying to make it look as good as I could. And then all of a sudden we hear um, we hear this door open and we hear like a little like like a little walkie talkie, something or other. And we hear someone say, Hello. uh and then uh, the guy I'm with, who's very paranoid, because he uh, I don't want to get too deep into it, but he works like for the parks. And so if he got caught there as like an employee, it would have been uh, a bad thing. What did, it, um,
2: what did it say? I'm sorry. You cut out.
0: Oh, sorry, somebody, they just, the, the security person just said hello. Like, oh, okay, that, hello. okay, hello. Yeah, and then the guy, um, who, my guide, who is taking me around, he works for the park, so it would have been very bad, um, if he got caught. So he, like, is just like, let's go! And, like, he kind of initiated this sort of quick, uh, escape. Um, and I think it plays well in the movie, because you have that initial kind of, like, we almost get caught at the Magic Kingdom, and then, why we're talking about this sort of like sad nostalgia at Epcot? It just smash cuts to us like running away as fast as we can.
2: Yeah, I kind of um, felt the adrenaline rush with you. Honestly, <laughs> I, fe- I felt like I was in the Utilidors with you, and when and when it cuts to that, I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going on? We gotta, you know, I felt like, oh my gosh, I'm there. I gotta get away. And yeah, it was, yeah, was kind of cool. Good, but- um, so he must have heard you guys walk in in the first place, then.
0: Yeah, or if we, I think we we got a little too comfortable just because we were up there. probably maybe had been about 10 minutes just like poking around um and i think we probably as time went on we probably got a little more comfortable with you know snooping around and then maybe we were just too you know made a little too much noise who knows uh it happens in leonard's uh, leonard has a great um dark side of disney he has a youtube channel where he posts all of his his stuff um and it he has a great one where he goes up into that that same area and he gets caught, and this is what you should always do. We, of course, at the time had fake IDs when we shot the stuff for, for the Dark Side of Disney documentary. Um, Leonard, when he shot his, he just had like a little camcorder and was like total tourist, uh, and that's how he played it off. Like, that's a good tip for anyone. Not that any, I suggest anyone do anything, like, you know, whatever. Um, but if you do get caught doing something, just play it off like, oh, I was just going to the bathroom. Is this not the bathroom? Oh, my. Right. Uh, and then they'll just say, oh, okay, here you go. This is the you – know, you can't be here. And you can hear it in the, in the Leonard's video. It's very amusing because he totally puts on this, like, dopey voice and is just like, oh, really sorry, dude. <laughs> That's funny, man. Gets, yeah, he gets ushered out of the – of the area
2: so was it after that incident you guys went ahead and did the drinking around the world challenge I mean that kind of reminded me of uh the movie the world's end
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i love that movie i love edgar wright i love all of his stuff um yeah it's kind of it's uh, that was probably i'm trying to think of the, the days wednesday was the day that we did that and then thursday um yeah we had, we went to epcot uh I, my friend zach who, who shot some of the stuff with us and um he is from born and raised in Brooklyn and had never been to Disney World. So we go to Epcot to try to uh, show him like why, how it used to be a good park. And he's underwhelmed. It, it was nothing on my fault, nothing on the, the fault of the park. He's just, you know, he, at the time, uh, he was just like this 25-year-old dude who had never been to Disney World and just doesn't get it.
2: Yeah, and you can um, tell. That's definitely portrayed in the movie. He, 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 he didn't seem to get it.
0: Yeah, he, does, he doesn't, and it's very funny. But um, So, yeah, then we, then we went ahead and then drank around the world. Um, which was a very long. Like I had this version of the film that was that had about a 10 minute uh, like sequence of us drinking around the world, um, and it was very long. It was very boring, uh, and I actually showed it to my wife and my mom uh, a couple months before we did the the premiere or the, even the rough cut screening here in New York. Um, and it was it's it just showed like this 10 minute version of that sequence was was very exhausting <laughs> to watch. Um, cause we, you know, we just go, and we have a drink in each place we have, we try to have a little conversation. We try to have a little fun with it. Um, but, uh, the way it comes together in the, in the final version is much more exciting. Um, and I'm surprised, like, I'm not, I'm not like a big drinker really. Like, uh, uh, you know, I'll have like a beer or two every now and then. And so to go through and have like 11 drinks or 12 drinks or whatever it is, um, in like 90 degree Florida heat, I think actually the heat helped. Like it was, you know, you're sweating and you're, we were also drinking water and, Eating along the way, but um, but Dana Snyder, who kind of intros that part, is so true. Like you, you do you meet these people when you're there. If you're looking, you often. I remember growing up and going to Epcot, never thinking about it. But when you're like kind of in the mix and like thinking, like, oh, I'm drinking around the world, you kind of all of a sudden like your blinders are off and you're seeing all of these other people that are there, to, kind of doing the same thing. And they are these like tiny little people. There's like this, you know. A hundred pound like girl who's like walking around like just pounding beers and having a great time and you think ah oh, something they do every weekend and they come and drink around the world every weekend or what is it? <laughs> well apparently it's, yeah, I wish we had, that would been that would have been a funny thing to do is interview some of the other people that we, we ran into along the way but we didn't get to that point because we were too busy <laughs> just doing our own thing.
2: Well apparently it's a thing you know I started looking it up online and, and people do it as a game. And uh, yeah, what was funny was at the end it finished off really well because you are a sad drunk buddy. Um, <laughs> you start that. crying and and you receive a text. This is what I I thought this part was the funniest part of the film, where you receive a text from your wife and someone had made a blanket for your daughter, and with a name with a mama bird and a baby bird and it said marmalade on the on the bottom <laughs> and. You're laughing up a storm and crying at the exact same time because it's been a it was just a joke the whole time. You right? You were call, you were telling people you were going to name your daughter Marmalade.
0: Yeah, we we had had the name Margot picked out for a long time, and that's her name now is is, is Margot. Uh, but then, we, of course, we thought you know it was funny that Mar Marmalade uh, was was a really funny thing to tell people. Um, yeah, and so this woman made made a blanket, and that's uh, of all the things that that kind of. Some things are, of course, in, in the editing process in the film, you know, are, are done. Like the thing you said with Leonard's, um, you know, be on the lookout, you know, it's a trap email. That was kind of like, you know, edited around and placed there as if it, it came right before I walked in line. And that was an editing trick. But that actually, that night, Drinking Around the World, that completely was, was what we call a, a verite moment in, in documentary filmmaking. It's just something that just completely happens in front of the camera. Like, no one expected it to happen. Um and it's 100% credit to my, to my friend Joe, who, who shot all that stuff, um, that he captures all of it so well. Like, he, ca- he captures, like, he, he knows where the lights are, like, in the park, and he, you see me, and you see me just, like, lose it, uh, and he was, he had smart enough and sober enough to, like, focus in on the phone well, and, uh, yeah, I totally, I, I, 11, 12 beers, whatever it is, was he, it was a margarita, like, nine beers, and, and hot sake, which is the worst idea, right. drinking hot sake, and that is, like, your sixth drink or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, I, 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 turn into a bluttering mess and, uh, it's, it's a very amusing part that always definitely gets a
2: laugh. Well, that text message, uh, ended the night very well, by the way, with that, uh, prank that was just hilarious. Would you do this all over again? But, uh, maybe dig even deeper to where you're like, man, I could go back and do it all over and I could do it better. Yeah. There's always, I think
0: if I, if I was like, now nah, it's perfect, then I would be some sort of like narcissist, narcissistic jerk or something, but, um, there's always room for improvement in everything that we do, I hope. Uh, you know, I hope that's the way people think. It's never, never finished. It's just out. You know, they say like a painting's never, never done. you just hang it on the wall at some point. Um, and definitely with this, this film, I feel like there were things that we could have done better. I think there's things we could have dived deeper into. Um, but the, the process was ridiculous. It was super fun. Uh, I, I learned so much. I met so many amazing people along the way. Uh, I would do it all over again on a heartbeat, just to just to meet more people like that, and just to you know delve a little deeper into um, what drives uh, individuals to do this kind of thing. Uh, it's it's endlessly interesting to me. Well, the next the, we're not hundred um, percent confirmed on this yet, but uh, I think the next thing that I'm going to be doing is that Hoot Gibson, who who's in the movie, um, who if your listeners don't know who he is. Um, they should really check out his website, Mesa Verde times. Um, he like kind of, a, he became this like kind of, uh, de facto, uh, historian for the, the ride horizons. And that's what his blog is all about. Um, but he is, uh, in his like experience of like sneaking off the rides, you see in the movie it comes that he basically taught himself how to like make animatronic robots and taught himself how to you know, create rides and enhance attractions and everything. So he is actually building, he's in the very early stages of building his own little, like, uh, you know, um, theme park on, like, his land in Florida. Uh, and he wants me to come and make a documentary of it, uh, like the process of, of, of him going through this. Uh, and I think it's an amazing idea. I'm going to be down there on uh, in November for the Orlando premiere that we're going to have uh, for The Dark Side of Disney. And I'm going to spend a day out in his land uh, talking with him and, and shooting some stuff and, and seeing if we can, like, begin the the first steps of a, of a new documentary about one man's dream to build uh, a little theme park on his own land.
2: That's awesome, man. I can't wait for that to come out. Hey, thanks again. I just want to – we're going to go ahead and wrap this up, but I know it's getting okay. kind of late there in New York. I, we definitely – I would love to have you on again if that's possible because mm-hmm. there's a lot of other stuff that, you know – we just didn't get to, but I'd like to have you on again sometime uh, as well in the future, if that's okay. That would be cool. Yeah, All that'd right. be great. Thanks, Philip, so much. Thanks for coming on and talking about uh, your documentary, The Dark Side of Disney. Tell our listeners real quick how they can watch it, when it's being released, and how they can follow you on your feeds.
0: Yeah, if you're in Miami, October 23rd, I'm giving a talk at the Animate Miami convention. Um, I'll be there with Dana Snyder and Guy Hutchinson, uh, the Drunk on Disney podcast, but I'll be doing my own little like one-hour talk where I'll be showing scenes from. Uh, both The Bubble and The Dark Side of Disney, and talking uh, about some behind-the-scenes stories uh, around those films. It'll also be the first time that people will be able to purchase DVDs of the film, uh, so that's a rare thing that uh, we're going to have a very like limited uh, run uh, printed um, for sale for that convention. Uh, and then the following week, uh, October 29th, we're doing a screening in Chicago where we're partnering with um, some filmmakers there who have created a short film called uh, Keep Moving Forward, it's about a, a man who's a, a Vietnam vet who, um, the only way that he can kind of get over his uh, post-traumatic stress uh, is by going to the Disney parks. Um, I haven't seen the film yet, uh, but we're going to do a little kind of double feature. So we'll show the dark side of Disney and then show um, a rough cut of their short documentary. Um, and then November 14th is the Orlando premiere, uh, sort of the Florida premiere, really, of the film. Um, we're going to be doing it uh, at Gods and Monsters which is a um, comic and collectible shop in downtown Orlando. Uh it is a massive space that can seat 250 people for a screening. Um, they have a bar in the in the the, the shop also. Um, the fun thing about that is that from 7 to 9 On the 14th of November We're going to be doing a, a Dark Side of Disney costume contest uh, Where people can come uh, In their best like, Dark Side costume Whatever that means to them And they can win prizes uh, They can win a copy of the film They can win a gift certificate in the store And a bunch of other prizes we haven't um, announced yet uh, And then from 9.30 to um, 11 We will be screening the film And then having a little Q&A With uh, a lot of the people from the film are going to be there I know Leonard's going to be there And Gibson's going to be there and a bunch of other people. So that's it for, like, uh, we're doing a, a screening in Ohio at the end of the year, but that hasn't been um, uh, lined up exactly. Um, but then the film is in consideration at some festivals um, right now, uh, and then it'll be out uh, next year for, you know, video on demand and stuff like that. Uh, if people want to keep up to date on anything, they can um, be sure to like the film on Facebook. That's the best thing to do, the dark side of Disney. Um, documentary film. Uh, I believe it's like facebook.com forward slash DSOD. Um, or they can check out the website DSODDoc.com.
2: And you're on Instagram and Twitter as well, correct?
0: I am. I'm on Instagram as PV Reese, which is a throwback to the first documentary I made. Actually, the throwback to the first narrative, uh, feature length film I made when I was a senior in high school. Uh, it's a long story that I can get into it some of the time. Uh, and I'm on Twitter as, uh, Philip B. Swift. How about, uh, Periscope? I'm not, I don't understand Periscope. Uh, i be honest. I'm, I'm 30, dude. I'm 35, and I'm, I, I, my wife and I joke about how, like, we're getting to that age where, like, we're almost, like, not going to be able to understand technology anymore. you got
2: like, to I Periscope every, your events, man. Especially if you're lined up say. with a lot of people, you know, uh, like Leonard Kinsey, have, and yeah.
0: Yeah, i got to look into it because I don't 100% understand it. That's it. Like, I just think I figured out Twitter, uh, like, a month ago. Okay. Um, so,
2: <laughs> yeah, same, same here, buddy. I'm right with yeah. you.
0: Yeah, it's just I, I, I you know, I, I'm getting old. We're all getting old. Technology's <laughs> moving so quickly.
2: Um, yeah, thanks again for coming on. By the way, I definitely want to hook up with that dude that made you that idea because I would love to have a fake idea sometime. But um, thanks for coming on the show, buddy. We're gonna have you on again because there's a lot more that I want to talk to that we didn't just we just didn't get to. So thanks, brother. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Talk to thanks you Thanks a
0: lot, Philip. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Have a good night.